everybody. I'm Jordan Tenenbaum, the host of the Celigo Technology Leadership Podcast. Today, we're joined by Kara Rohr, the Vice President of Technology at ClickStop. And as always, my trusty co-host, Mark Simon, the Vice President of Strategy at Celigo. Kara, how are you doing today? Doing good. How are you guys? Doing very well. Thank you. Well, we're going to jump in as we normally do. Uh, Kara, could you tell us just a little bit about yourself and uh, kind of how you became a vice president of technology? What's the story behind your journey there? Yeah, so um, I started back in 2013 here at ClickStop as a sales and service rep. I moved out of um, a commission style based role and um, really wanted to change up going to a new uh, younger company that was on the up and coming. And I really just wanted my foot in the door. Um, there, we're a big local, um, great, uh, great places to work, great culture-driven company. And I have um, quite a few friends from high school that were here, and I wanted to see what they were doing and why. I knew nothing about ClickStop and what it was until I applied, um, and. I never thought that my life would lead me to selling ratchet straps for a while because I, to this day, 10 years later, still can't even use one, but was <laughs> trying to tell people on the phone and help them use them um, for a while. Um, I kind of just moved around taking on any opportunity that was available at ClickStop. That's the great thing about um, our business. The mission is you know, providing opportunities for those who seek it. And I really just dove head into that and was like anytime there is an opportunity that fits where i'm benefiting the company and it's also benefiting me i want to jump into that and try it out and feel that need to make an impact um that journey led me through about four or five different roles on four or five different teams until i found my home probably five years ago on the technology team as a um project coordinator just helping get everything organized um if you work with any type of developer or um, technical person you know that they don't want to be the uh, manager of the work they just want to do the work and we we had it had a need to get very organized um so i stepped in to fill that role and um just kind of worked my way up through that we had a need about a year ago to a year and a half ago i guess to um have a leader from our team um, represent us in the leadership at the leadership level. And I kind of just raised my hand and said, hey, I'll do it until you find someone. Um, and then about five months in, they asked me to stay on full time as the VP of technology. That's awesome. What a story. And congrats on making it all the way up Thanks. to the VP role. That's super exciting. Um, so for those who don't know, ClickSop is um, I'll say an e-commerce conglomerate because it makes you guys sound <laughs> fantastic. Um, could you talk yeah. a little bit about um, maybe what ClickStop entails in terms of brands and, and a little bit about how you guys have grown? And then we can kind of jump in with a little bit more targeted questions from, from Mark. But I just want to hear the story about ClickStop and the brands that make it up. Yeah. Um, so our, we're an e-commerce company. I would say first, we've, we've taken on more things as that has happened, but we're an e-commerce company first. We have four brands that we um, fully run within our business. So um, we have US Cargo Control, Fasteners Plus, Ecofoil, and Pepper Joe's. Um, some of these are brands that we built from the startup. Fasteners Plus is something we started on its own and 
incubated it up into um, the company that it is now. And then others we've acquired, like Pepper Joe's, we bought, um, I think in 2018, um, we acquired it, took on all of its um, inventory and its uh, platform um, and have just continued to run it and then grow it. So we built a, built a greenhouse in our, I say our backyard of our main warehouse, but we have a greenhouse that we're growing our pepper seeds and stuff through. Um, and then we also acquired a company called Clean Laundry. And that's like a, it's a um, licensing program where you can um, own and operate laundromats around the country. So we've got, I think, 30 some odd laundromats across the U.S. that are um, focused on like high efficiency and a high like and great technology. Like it's a really cool atmosphere to go into. It's super clean. Um, the machines are all ran pretty high tech wise. They've got so you can do stuff from your app. It's not the typical take your quarters in and go do your laundry type of a place. The, the Apple of laundromats. That's yeah, I'm there you go. That's a good way to say it. Um, yeah. So we've um, yeah, we've got the four e-commerce brands and then the clean laundry. Fantastic. So so that's kind of uh, Kara, that's kind of interesting to me. Those are those are four or five different business channels that have some like four of them have some similarity right? Because they're e-commerce. But when you look at those businesses, they're in some ways, some of them are pretty different. You look at like Pepper Joe's and you're selling seeds, essentially yeah. seeds and yeah. I think maybe starts as well. And then you've got, mm -hmm. you've got manufactured, uh, yeah. you know, items assume probably offshore manufactured from our, from a ratchet standpoint. Oh, we actually like, manufacture those in house. Yeah. Oh, you do. do. Oh, that's yeah, cool. We do manufacturing. See, that's even more interesting. Yeah. Yeah. We do manufacturing in, um, in our warehouse here. Yep. Oh, that's, that's, so that's, uh, yeah, that's even more, that's even more complex when yeah, you, when you yeah. manufacture it on. So th th they have some similarity, but I almost say those businesses are more different than they are alike. Mm -hmm. That must kind of impose some challenges, uh, you know, from a systems perspective, from a, yeah. well, from a process perspective first, then you must see that in systems. I don't, I'm curious kind of what, what are some of the challenges you see and, and how you, yeah, how you address those? Yeah. So um the, the challenges seem to be different every day something new comes up and someone wants to try something that we've not done before um i would say pepper joe's is probably our most um unlike the other three when it comes to how we do stuff they're much more b2c driven than b2b like our other brands are um so sometimes we're doing unique unique things for them that we've never really had to think about before. They're also consumable items. They have an expiration date. And we, for the last 10 years that I've been here, plus even before then, we never had to worry about stuff that expired and had to find a way of um, tracking that properly in our system because we didn't have to follow that methodology. So um, it's become super clear to us that we can't always make everything as much as we want to be one size fits all and do it all the same for all of the brands and we just had to um use the guiding lines of this is what our our business model is and then find ways to make stuff work within that system okay yeah that's that's interesting so you talk about so i assume you must be using like lot tracked inventory for pepper joe's right that's yes. a big and yeah. from my consulting background often uh 
clients would be engaging to work with us when they're shift like they're usually shifting ERPs. And when they do that, you always look at process. So very often we're implementing lot tracks, serialized, basically more like more stringent inventory control period, but often a new type of inventory control, like food companies moving to lot track inventory for yeah. the first time is something that I saw really commonly. And one of the things I saw was that you're now leveling up your operational discipline to like a whole new level, like yeah. going to, to lot track. How did, how did that impact the organization to, to add in and not only add in a new business, but one that was, that was lot track. I, I imagine that must've been uh, challenging and kind of stretched your, uh, stretched the team a little bit. Yeah. Well, it's, it's gone through some evolutions and how we're doing it. When we first took oh, it on, we kind of kept it and have for quite a while kept it, I would say on its on the side, it it functions over here where the rest of our stuff is functioning over here. So it's it's in our system, but the people doing the stuff for Fasters Plus, US Cargo Control, and Ecofoil aren't having to deal with the stuff that's happening with Pepper Joe's. We've got a dedicated group of people that were working in that way and able to like just focus on that matter. We're actually taking that and combining them now. We're we're joining forces and moving pepper joe's to be more of a um shared model where it will it will have the same people that are shipping ratchet straps shipping pepper seeds well those, those ship very differently they're much different in weight they're much different in how they have to be controlled and managed so um our warehouses are really getting a lot of focus in the coming year of like what does it mean to be a super um high functioning warehouse that's managing such different items. So that's kind of what's been our biggest unique challenge is they've, they've not ever experienced it before. They're going to have to do different uh, things in the system that they didn't have to do before. Mm -hmm. um, but then we're also getting really reliable on the system. Um, you know, we can't just use tribal knowledge of one person because we're going to have 26 to 30 people now helping with that. Very well, interesting. Oh, go ahead, Mark. Go ahead, Jordan. I was just going to say, so I, I was reading on your website, your your warehouse is, I think the most recent upgrade is like almost 150,000 square feet, which is, yeah. congrats. Uh, uh, that's just like mind-boggling yeah. how big that is. Um, you have all of these different brands that are very different, whether it's size, whether it's how you deal with it, whether it's storage. Um, I, personally, I'm just thinking, wow, like taxes must be a pain, and I'm glad I don't have to deal with that. But <laughs> when, it, <laughs> yeah, when it comes to technology to manage such diverse businesses, maybe one, like how are you doing it? And, and what's your personal strategy when it comes to you know, whether it's an ERP or EDI mm -hmm. or integrations, yeah. how do you, how do you get everything under one umbrella and kind of unify it technologically? Yeah. So as a business, we've been using NetSuite as our ERP for years. I think we're probably like 15 or 16 years in on it. Um, and that's where we've always kind of centralized everything. So we're a NetSuite first business model when it comes to choosing software solutions. Um, We've had to go through some challenges of decoupling things off of NetSuite. Um, when we decided to move to a different front end platform, we had to find a connector because of all these different moving parts. But over the years, we've always kind of really stuck to the 
NetSuite first, next NetSuite, whoops, sorry, NetSuite first, there are there are centralized place and then go from there. So when we are choosing tools, they've got to work great with it. Um, that's like the first thing we have to make sure has happened. If we don't, it's a struggle. And we we tried to go a, a different direction in the past. We've used a connector or we've used tools that were like, oh, it says it works with both. We need to really flesh out and vet the stuff NetSuite first. And that's kind of where we live with our the way we're choosing stuff. Um, yeah, I think that that's one of the main things um, we do, you know, something like EDI and how do we like take manual processes away from people um, as you grow uh, for brands and they have four different kind of seasonalities. We've got a lot of things happening at a lot of, you know, all throughout the day um, when we want to grow at whatever percentage we want to grow at, but we want to stay lean with our um you know, our, our people, money, what do you call that? Your payroll expenses. There we go. <laughs> when you want to keep that, you know, on the lower side, because we are employee owned, we're ESOP. And so you want to see that be bigger. You're looking for the right solution that's going to last long term. That focus is really big on, you know, making sure it connects well. Got it. Thank you. That's 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 really interesting. So I I I kind of heard there, Alonclair, that you're you're very uh, like a lot of companies, especially mid-sized companies. Your ERP is is the core of your business. You start mm -hmm. there. That's the foundation. Yeah. I, I, I kind of echoes everything we see typically, especially in mid-market. The the ERP yeah. is the you start your digital transformation there. You you can't really. Uh, do much automating of the business until you have a modern ERP and then mm -hmm. it just, and then it expands out. So yeah. that's, that's very logical. Um, and I always think of, you know, companies evolving their tech stack and you, it sounds like you really did over the years. So you mentioned the e-commerce side and the EDI. I'd love to dive into both of those. First of those, what direction did you go from an, from an e-commerce perspective first? Like what platform did we choose? Yeah. Yeah. What yeah. platform did you choose? Sure. Sure. So when we acquired Pepper Joe's, they lived on Shopify. So we had, and we didn't move them off of that. We kept them on that instead of trying to recreate that site on um, NetSuite's SCA. Um, so we left them on Shopify and we kind of ran them, like we I said, as two separate businesses in some capacity. And we just transferred data over to do the financial stuff at the end of the month. Um, we got to a point where we had outgrown or wanted to do more than what SCA could give us when it came to our front end platform. And Shopify is, you know, they're a titan in the industry. They're leading the way on what front end web sales are. And so we chose to go with them and we moved three sites over in the course of a year and a half. I think we moved three sites over and we, we didn't have any experience in Shopify. Um, we had one web developer who was very fluent in SCA and had done all that, but we were saying, okay, we're moving to Shopify and nobody in our team had company had ever done anything in Shopify outside of managing a site that we had purchased. And we were just maintaining the, the, the front end of it. We weren't expanding or growing it much. That's that's interesting. So I, I'm, you know, I, I've heard a lot, a lot of people, uh, you know, business leaders say, well, I, I'm, I'm, if they're on the Sweet Commerce Advance, they've already invested there. They have a site built yeah. out. They're like, 
well, I don't, I don't want to move to a Shopify mm-hmm. or a Magento or yeah. uh, Big Commerce, something external, because they're like, well, I, I don't necessarily want to have to manage or maintain the integration. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm curious to see what your your experience was making that shift. Like, does it all did it did it all sum out essentially? Was that <laughs> did you, yeah. were, were your would those concerns be valid or not based on your perspective? Yeah, those are super valid concerns and something that we did struggle through at first. We um, were in a space of, okay, we have to find a way to connect all these. We've done connections in the past. We've done basic API calls to different things, but we're talking about web sales and the, the amount of traffic that we have going on on those sites. Um, you know, if you have 2000 orders a day or more that are happening on your front end, how do we get those to shipping before the four o'clock shut off time that we have so that we're getting our customers what they want when they need it. We have to have something that's reliable and efficient. We, I would say, I think we went in a little bit overzealous and thought, oh, we can do this, no problem. Let's just pick one and go. And that was clearly not the right way to go about it, but it did help us learn what we um, should do going forward when it comes to choosing something or by doing a connection. you know, we we had to then once we realized, you know, about a year into trying to use the original connector and it was just a really big struggle. We had lost a lot of like a lot of people's trust within our company because they watched it just not go well. And we had to say, hey, we're, we're, we're pivoting and we're choosing a whole new tool. Get ready. And we have to do this in a really short amount of time because, you know, the sites are live and we've got you know, we're not shutting them down for any time. So everything's got to stay up and running and we've got to keep getting orders through and we need all of the the web information traveling back and forth so that we've got the proper, you know, information so our customers feel confident in buying. So, um, yeah, it's a very scary thing. Um, You know, in hindsight, I think we've um, become much more um, aware of what we've got going on. You know, NetSuite lets you do so many custom things that we have done all of it. And so when it comes to then like, okay, now we're now we're moving to a different site um, to host and you're used to, you know, orders are there right away. Now you're going to see a little lag time. It's a minute or two, but it's still a lag time that people aren't used to seeing. Um, I think that the the good outweighed the bad when we made the choice. When someone says they're afraid because it's a whole new platform that they have to then manage, it's the growth going forward that you know we wanted we want to be able to grow and do the things that mm-hmm. that buyers want when they're on a website. And we weren't you're not SCA just wasn't ever going to catch up to what we were wanting to do. We were trying to. sit and wait we were tired of sitting and waiting for those things what they do so well on the back end like we we needed someone that does that just as well on the front end and so we we knew we were gonna have to take some you know make some like choices on what was most important and it was i uh, for us it's we want to get the customer to, to buy we want the customer to feel confident have all the features have all the information have the like really good buying experience. Once that happens, then it's then it's the, all on us to figure out how we make that get to them. Then once they've bought, we have to keep their confidence that mm-hmm. we are going to deliver on what we say. And so, um, having a good connector and then just being able to um, 
utilize NetSuite for what it's really good at has been like, we've been able to grow the sites and give stuff that we wouldn't have been able to do in the past. That, that's awesome. So that uh, to, to, parap to paraphrase <laughs> that, it sounds like from a, from an op, from a standpoint of optimizing those e-commerce channels, it, it definitely paid off. You're able to do things yeah. on the site that you couldn't before. That's helping you increase revenue, yeah. making the customer stickier, that it's, it's worth the switch and taking on additional integration work to make happen. Yeah. I mean, Shopify's focusing, you know, solely on their, or mostly on what their front end offers. So they're continuously to grow that. NetSuite's so wide that like, I don't know that SEA was ever going to be their top thing. So they're growing other things that do help and benefit us on the backside. We just needed something that could do the same for us on the front end. That, that makes sense. We see that a lot in Really, whether companies, whether they're five million in e-commerce revenue or they're five hundred million, you're kind of on this journey to adding more and more specialized tools along the way. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you might start with your ERP doing a ton of stuff for you, but over time, it kind of just focuses more and more on 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 the absolute key things it does yeah. best. And then you start adding in. So that's a very, mm -hmm. I mean, if you see that common pattern, not just in e-commerce, but software and SaaS product, yeah. SaaS product company and really everything. So interesting, you know, it's interesting the way you describe that. Um, I'm curious though, you mentioned about uh, essentially the, some of the things you learned. I mean, you mentioned learning some things along the way. Yeah. And I love to kind of dive into that. If you were talking to yourself or another company looking to embark on this, what, what would be some of the things you'd recommend that they they do or think about before they they started on this this journey to transition their mm -hmm. e-commerce outside and integrate it and, and start on a project like that. Yeah, um, some of the one of the biggest things that I think was a, one of my favorite learning things was understanding how we wanted to use the product that we we're choosing. Um, when we originally chose one, it was very um, driven by the company that we chose. Like they managed everything. You had to reach out to them to do it all. In hindsight, we were like, oh, that just doesn't move as fast as we want it to. So um, like going with Saligo, we we have a lot more control and ability within it to to do things and be nimble and move fast. You have to rely on a on being in a queue of a thousand other people with a support ticket because it's pretty self-service and and we can tinker with it into the ways we need it to work. And so that was probably one of our biggest things is we like to we like to have a lot of control, which I think any e-commerce company will probably tell you, they like to have a lot of control of the stuff that they're doing. And so um, that was one thing I know that I would, I would suggest people know is just like how much time you are personally gonna have invested in it. Um, do you have dedicated resources to it or not? Um, you know, after we did the integration, we ended up hiring someone on that's a system admin that fo solely focuses just on our, our Saligo connection and is managing that day in and day out and has actually, you know, done more than I think we would have ever had, um, we wouldn't have ever done before because we wouldn't have had a resource tied to it that could say, that that can solve those different problems mm -hmm. because they're in that every day. Like, oh, we can add it in this way. It's like, oh, well, that's something we wouldn't even thought about. We would have just tried to do it a way we already thought we knew how to do. And so that's one thing that I think is really important. Um, I think second thing that would be, or another thing that would be important um, is knowing all the connection points that you need to have or 
all of, like having just a really good general idea of like everything that you're gonna do. Um, and then making the decision on, you know, does it need to live in NetSuite or I guess in your ERP or can it live on the front end? You know, we yeah. for a really long time said, it's all gonna live in NetSuite. And we're just gonna push it to all the different places it needs to go. And as we like got deeper and deeper into it, when we were starting to look at it, we were like, well, why are we forcing the system to do this when you could just do that on the front end? So like being really intentional about the what you want where. So if it doesn't serve a purpose other than being on the front end, there was no real need for us to try and keep managing it in our back end and just bypass that altogether if we don't need to. Yeah, I think that the being thinking differently about what you want where I that's a that's a really important one. I saw that a lot in consulting with my e-commerce e clients because one of the questions we'd always try to figure out was well, where should the merchandising data live? Mm -hmm. And so yeah. very often it ends up, it, it would start live out in the company's journey. They transition to an ERP, usually NetSuite. And the, then they're focused on, on having the merchandising data live in NetSuite. And yeah. at a certain point, that isn't that may not be the best model, depending on yeah. how you merchandise and your channels where you're selling, because those those channels are constantly evolving and you're constantly really generally, I mean, again, all comes down to the individual business, but you're generally I see so often enriching that data so much. And then you're like, if you're always like struggling and you, you, what I see is you move that closer to the channels or you move key parts of it closer. It seems to, it seems to free up the, the, the e-commerce team more. Let's the team that's doing the merchandising have a little more flexibility and bring them closer. And I saw a lot of efficiencies from that over time. Yeah, that's not the same thing. Oh yeah. 100%. We, yeah. that was, that was probably one of our um, best learned things to finally just like mm -hmm. be super intentional about what's where, like we were, we're just doing it because that's what we were used to doing. And so we thought it made sense. Um, and then you get down the road and you're, you're, you know, waiting for the data because you can't have everything going at once and you've got almost a million things passing in a month's time. So, you know, you're going to have stuff that's going to lag. Well, if you want your data there right away, you know where it's going to be front facing, just use that. So, yeah. I have a quick question. Um, something that I found fascinating is in your first year of business, ClickStop went from $14,000 to a million dollars which is pretty obscene in a good way. Yeah, yeah. Um, we talked a little bit about the technology side of things. We talked a little bit about the e-commerce side of things, um, you know, just acquiring brands, growing brands. What do you think uh, drove some of that growth that maybe uh, we didn't cover yet? What Was it um, timing? Was it luck? Was it just you know, sheer determination and strength or yeah. maybe a little bit of everything, but, but what else was able to drive, um, your brands from 14,000 to a million dollars and then beyond, but just in the first year, not just the first year, uh, both, I guess the first yeah. year and then beyond. I'm curious. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't here for the first year. Um, it, the, <laughs> origin the, story, sauce. The, yeah, <laughs> no, the origin story of the first year is, you know, it was ran out of our, uh, chairman's, uh of the board his his garage him and one friend were you know 
slinging ratchet straps to um, anybody and everybody that they could. And um, we were doing, he got, I think he got into the e-commerce world for a, the trucking and transportation um, industry early. Um, we then were able to be quick and, and, and kind of lead that for a while. Um, he, there's a big focus on like the Google analytics of getting your stuff, you know, on the top of the um, page and being, you know, just being really good at SEO and um, his success is truly driven by how well he does that. And he's kind of just passed that on from um, person to person as they step into those roles that do the SEO uh, generation. Got it. And then beyond that first year, you know, maybe the last two or three years, what else, you know, other than acquiring new brands, what else has helped you guys um, really, really, you know, kind of explode and expand? Yeah, um, optimize, it, it's a lot, it's the e-commerce world of really optimizing the um, products that we're selling and being true to our brand uh, promise of, you know, what you want when you need it. We use that across the board for all of our brands. Um, so we're really focused on, um, great pricing, uh, great, you know, shipping time. So the customers are seeing stuff when you want to, it's, it's really hard to compete with Amazon because they, you know, they can get, I can get stuff sometimes in the same day. Um, so how do we do that? And, um, you know, we've opened up, a, you know, an additional warehouse to serve the East coast so we can get stuff to people on the East coast faster. We're, we're talking about what's the next one that we open up look like, um, having, plenty of inventory so we don't have to say no to customers um you mentioned earlier our warehouse space yeah we're actually um expanding both of our warehouses we're um doubling i think one set one i can't i think I, that maybe i'm misquoted there maybe don't use that part we're we're getting a lot of extra warehouse space for both of our um locations in um iowa and south carolina we're so we can take on more products we can add the stuff that customers are needing and then we can have it and are able to say yes right away that's awesome that's really awesome and then the other quick question i had is you mentioned esop employee stock ownership mm -hmm. plan yeah um i totally knew what that was before uh, researching <laughs> I promise don't worry about it I um, should... <laughs> for those who I don't know not us yeah uh, <laughs> talk a little bit about um, maybe a quick definition of what that is and then what that means to you and your uh, employees and um, ClickStop as a whole. Yeah. So um, where we are, we're on year six, I think, of it. Um, yeah, we started in 2017. Um, our owner um, saw how we were growing and, um, you know, we're from the Midwest and small town in Iowa. And it's a lot about family values and um, just the Midwest way. And as you know, we were growing, he wanted to share that with everyone in the company. You know, it's, it's a, it's a way to grow and then have everyone be an owner. So employee stock ownership is, I'm going to probably fudge this really bad, but it's, it's basically shares of the business distributed out to employees as part of a ownership option. Um, it's a good retirement plan for us. I mean, I, our first class of 
employees just became 100% vested in the system. So we're seeing, you know, the growth that as the company does better, we do better. Um, so that's a, it's, it's a great, um, like benefit of the company. And it's a great way to have like an ownership mindset because you essentially are an owner of the company. And so, um, getting to see the company grow and then kind of grow your retirement plan, even with it is a really cool thing to see. That's awesome. All right, Mark, I know you have more technology and tech stack questions. I just had to derail for a moment. Back to you. <laughs> maybe I'm done. Maybe, maybe I, uh, there, there's, there's, there's a, there's a lot here to, a lot here to talk about. Certainly. Um, I'll go back, uh, care to something you, you brought up EDI earlier. Yeah. And I'm curious to hear, um, you know, what you do for EDI. We didn't get a chance to talk about it. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm unfamiliar. So I'm curious, you know, what, what you do for EDI, how that evolved. That's usually kind of an evolution in company, part of the yeah. evolution step of an e-commerce company. Yeah. And yeah, I'm curious to know kind of what you did in your, your journey there. Yeah. Well, we were kind of forced our hand on EDI on the customer side. We've got some bigger um, supply companies that we work with that that's really a requirement of getting their business. And we didn't want to have to say no when we wanted that business. So um, you end up in a, a very pseudo like chopped together version of EDI where you're managing it for one or two customers. And then you start to look at it from the other and you're like, well, why can't we force that on our vendors? Like we are doing the same thing with some of, you know, we're, we're sending and receiving tons of POs and information back and forth daily from vendors, you know, we, we can benefit from this on that side too. So um, we took the approach of getting an EDI supplier probably five years ago and have just slowly been adding um, customers and vendors and different, documents as it comes you know we do the the standard po po acknowledgement shipment stuff but we've moved into you know freight and import information um that cuts down tons of time for our finance team matching up shipping invoices to sales orders and and just all of that so i don't have to do it so i i know it doesn't look fun but you know that's you know thousands of shipments because every package has a a fee attached to it so being able to match that up to the order that it goes to and yeah edi does that for us <laughs> it's very nice uh, that's that's great that's fantastic i i you know and, and the way you describe that that journey is is pretty typical where you have a you know, I often see it as a, you know, some large customer, they're, they're a large entity yeah. of some kind, whether they're a big box retailer or they're, you know, it could be, and I, I'm not sure what yours are, like a, a, a bigger distribution organization, like a Granger or something. And yep, they're like, they oh, one of them. <laughs> yeah. So, and they're like, it's yeah, you or the highway. You know, <laughs> yeah. And, and it starts there, but it's really, I, I one thing I see that the, comp, uh, the companies often miss out on is moving that they don't, they don't, then they get the, they get it going with the customer side, but they don't then switch over to the vendor side or it takes mm -hmm. them a long time to do that. Yeah. So it's, it's really, uh, to me, cool to hear that you, you've adopted that on the vendor side and pushed into your vendors and said, Hey, we're going to communicate. Mm -hmm. We are, you know, we see the, that you saw the value of automating yeah. and pushed into EDI, um, particularly that tran transportation. I see that as like often 
like a big a big miss with organizations they don't move there fast like quickly enough um so that's 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 really um i think a big big accomplishment to have moved in that area in your in your growth that's that's cool um along with that did you build out do you have like an edi team now internally that focuses on your all your edi no not yet (laughs) no not yet it's something i'd love to have um right now i i actually implemented it five years ago um and i just have not been able to like transition it to anyone so i still do most of the edi stuff um i to my own demise i did not do a great job documenting it so i don't feel comfortable just giving it to someone but i'm slowly chipping away at getting all of my stuff that's um in all my different emails and different tasks all organized in some sort of way so that someone could take it but um yeah there's just a lot there's so much opportunity with edi and and it's probably similar to the same situation on like Saligo for us. Like if I, if we have someone who could dedicate a lot of time to it, we could see a lot of um, growth opportunities within it. We should uh, introduce you to our friend, Eric and Piers. They're uh, the leaders of Orderful. They were recently on our podcast. And I know that they help brands set up um, EDI internally if they have a specific person, but they also allow you to kind of like offload the work to them and their mm brand slash product. So that's a whole nother conversation, but <laughs> yeah. it's not something you want to deal with because I know how much fun <laughs> digging through emails sounds. Um, great. Yeah, yeah, I'm just, yeah, I'm just, we use SPS Commerce. So I was like, hey, can you just tell me all of this stuff? <laughs> there we go. I know that's... it's somewhere on your guys' end. No, that, that makes sense. Um, yeah. One other thing that I wanted to kind of quickly ask about is um, just in terms of becoming tech friendly this is something Kara, that you and i talked about before um before the podcast and we've obviously talked a lot about it now between um, edi and erp and integrations what's next on the horizon for clickstop in terms of um, becoming more tech friendly is there a division of software that you're going to dive into is there something that you're going to review internally Um, how do you plan to stay ahead tech wise there's a couple of different things. Um, I wouldn't say it's probably something that's going to get us ahead, but something that we um, know we need to do now that we have more than one warehouse location. Um, we are, you know, we're going to be going down the road of getting a good warehouse management system software in place. Like we're, we're, um, we, we're managing, but we know we could definitely be a lot better, um, especially when we talk about having the variety of products that, you know, some need lot tracked, some don't, and, and some have to be stored in cool places. And so um, that's one area where we know as a company, we can get better. Um, That also gives us a lot better data for the front end. So we can do, you know, a lot of different things on the website to show customer stuff. So um, that's one area, um, you know, a lot of companies are talking about AI. I think the world is talking about AI <laughs> and it got brought up at, uh, at our company um, in our strategy week, a couple um, about a month ago, you know, it was like, we gotta, we have to figure out how we want to use it in our company. There's so many different things you can do with it. Um, we really want to focus on making sure we're intentional and picking the right things to use it for. Um, it writes great content. So we've done some testing of, you know, how does it stack up against, uh, you know, stuff that we write ourselves and how does that work in the SEO world? And so um, that's, I think that's just scratching the surface of what AI can do. 
So um, first we want to set a really good vision of what it means to use it and then see us put it into action. Thought we might get away with not talking about AI one podcast. You just can't because it's I, it's just it's taking over. It's a good thing. It's good that you're yeah, yep. Yeah. So yeah. We have about eleven minutes left. I usually have a closing question, but I want to open the floor back up to Mark. Just I, I, he's been super insightful with his uh, questions and comments. I just want to give him an opportunity before uh, we close things out. So, Kara, you know, when you're talking about the AI and some of the some of the other initiatives, it it reminds me of something that we've we've started a relatively new initiative with, um, particularly new customers coming in and joining us because it's easier to sort of start. But we've also gone through and done it with a lot of existing customers and put together a concept of what we call an automation roadmap, where you go through and say, "Where are you going?" It might be yeah. 24 months, 36 months, and I'm and I'm curious. From that standpoint, as an organization, as a mid-market organization that's growing, you've got multiple brands, you've got a lot of you've got a lot of areas to gain in efficiency in taking the right step. Are how do you think about that? Do you put together? Do you work with the team to put together a, a roadmap? How far ahead do you look from a systems and an automation standpoint? Oh, it's all over the board. We're we're an open, you know, we're a we're a shared service model in some capacity for our company for. Um, the technology team specifically, you know, we're, mm -hmm. we're managing and helping serve the front end. We got four, you know, brands that we're really trying to help mm -hmm. them grow, but then we've got all the operations that goes on behind the scenes with the sales and, and, um, you know, the warehouses and manufacturing and, and purchasing. And, um, so, um, we've really had to just like kind of hone in on that shared service model of how we work and be intentional with what, the teams want everyone wants a thousand mm -hmm. things but what are yeah. the right things we should focus on now what can we um do that sets you up for future growth is it you know automating a, a a process or is it finding a tool that does it like we're exactly. we're doing a balancing act so yeah we've got uh, i've got a, gr a group of great admins and developers on my team that are always eager to solve some weird complex problem um, and so they just, they dive head, dive in head first and really like to just see different things get better for others. Awesome. That's fantastic. Awesome. Good well, we're coming towards the end of this and I have two questions for you, Kara. One, um, is a bit more general and one is actually about pepper Joe's because <laughs> I've been growing peppers and super hot peppers for the past two, three years. And so you have. Yes. Oh. Um, I can't eat them, but I grow them. <laughs> just grow them? <laughs> yes. I give them to my neighbors and tell them they're not spicy. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so I've been pretty deep into this world. I've been watching Hot Ones, which is a progressively spicy chicken wing eating interview show. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Millions of views on YouTube. Um, I'm very familiar with Pucker Butt uh, Hot Sauce Company, which recently created Pepper X, which is the world's hottest pepper. Yeah. And something that I noticed too. about Pepper Joe's, and I'm asking this because I'm a social media manager, is when are you guys going to start a TikTok having people eat hot peppers? Because I don't want to be on it. No, you don't need to be on it. You, you could be giving them out. But between yeah. like the Pocky One Chip Challenge and all yep. of these hot, spicy food things going on, I think yeah. you guys have a fantastic opportunity uh to take huge advantage on social yeah. media of this uh this pepper craze that's going on and has been going on so mm -hmm. um you don't have to answer in terms of when <laughs> you're going to 
but hopefully yeah. soon because I'd love to see it. Um, you want to be the one of the first contestants? <laughs> I'll eat a jalapeno. Yeah, now we're talking. I want to see that. <laughs> <laughs> digging myself a hole over here. Well, I'll, I mean, I'll tell you this. My So my father actually works here, and he does the buying for Pepper Joe's. And they had some pepper sticks that were close to expiring. So they had like about, I don't know, two weeks off. So they pulled them. And, and my dad was like, oh, I'll take them, and we'll find something to do with them. And I met him and my mom. And um at the local watering hole on Friday night and they were <laughs> setting them up at the bar and chopping up pieces and people were eating Carolina Reaper uh jerky sticks or like meat sticks and and they're they're like oh it's really good and I was like I was like I think it kicks in at the end and so you saw people get uh very shocked once they got a little bit into the meat stick that I was like oh, this isn't as like cooling as I thought it was gonna be well two things I'll say one that's free content next time set up a camera <laughs> yeah I, two, I know I know <laughs> and, and two uh when the podcast is over I'll send you Mark's address he'd love a love a pack uh, <laughs> so the, the final question now that we're off of hot peppers um <laughs> I, something that I like to do is, is is just have people get to know you on a on a more personal level. So sure. outside of work, outside of hot peppers, outside of EDI and and ERP and all that stuff, yeah. Kara, tell us just a little bit about yourself. What are your what are your passions, hobbies, interests? What do you like to do for fun? And then we can uh, close out and get you out of here. I I like to I like sports. So I um, uh, being from Iowa, we're big Iowa fans, and Iowa basketball starts up. So, you know, we, uh, it's been fun watching the women's, uh, basketball, get all of the credit that it's getting. And it's fun to be an Iowa Hawkeye fan for that right now. Um, and golf sometimes not super great at it. Um, I got one hole in one once and said, maybe I never need to play again. Cause when you've been perfect, you don't have to keep trying. Right. But I still find myself going out there every once in a while and remembering why being very humbled that that was just a one-time thing. Uh, play softball during the summer, biking. Um, that's it. Planning a wedding and getting married next April. So that's Congrats. a thing. Congrats. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So just spending a lot of time with friends and family. Got a five-year-old niece who can sucker me into almost anything. So <laughs> that's awesome. Well, thank you. I just, it's always nice yeah. to get to know folks yeah. outside of a work environment. Um, and as usual, thank you. Uh, a ton for being on this podcast. This has been a really, yeah. really interesting episode. Yeah, um, for those of you still listening out there, I'm Jordan Tenenbaum, the social media manager at Sligo. Uh, as I said earlier, we're joined by Kara Rohr, who's the vice president of technology at ClickStop. And as always, Mark Simon, the vice president of strategy at Sligo and my wonderful co-host. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Kara, thanks for being on and we'll see you around. Thank you. Thank you. Bye everyone.